Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You know the drill. If you leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and then send us an email with a screenshot of it, you'll be entered into a giveaway for a signed copy of my book, John Turner, An Intimate Biography of Canada's 17th Prime Minister. Send that screenshot to onpolitics at tvo.org and we'll announce the winner at the end of June. Best of luck, everyone. Welcome to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, another high-profile entrant into the Ontario Liberal leadership race. Ottawa's Yasser Nakvi is in. The Ford government votes down a proposed law that would have imposed harsher punishments on municipal politicians who misbehave. In your column, my column, I put the chief salesman for Ontario, Inc. under the microscope, Economic Development Minister Vic Fideli. And I'll focus on what we're going to do with all those office towers downtown as people still haven't come back to work. And an old friend joins the show to talk about their new podcast. It's Tuesday, June 6th, 2023, so let's get to it. So, JMM, you didn't get the job. I feel bad for you. Uh, come again? Well, you know, the Maple Leafs general manager job. I know how much you <laughs> wanted that gig, and I'm I'm really just here to express my solidarity with you that it went to Brad Tree Living. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, what's he got that you don't have? Uh, well, he's got a lot of experience. Uh, he co-founded the Western Professional Hockey League in 1996. Uh, he was the assistant general manager of the Phoenix Coyotes and then went on to be the general manager of the Calgary Flames. Uh, under him, the Flames came out on top of the Pacific Division twice with 50 win seasons. Well, sure, there's that. But what does he know about Ontario politics? I mean, if that's a relevant factor, then I'm not even the most qualified person on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. Well, just before we look inside our mailbag, let's just establish that you are back at the home base at Young and Eglinton in Midtown Toronto. And through the miracle of podcast technology, I am actually in Ottawa today. And although I can't see you, I can hear you, which is almost just as good. Uh, it is quite a, a wondrous age we live in that we can do this remotely. Oh, wait, no, we did this remotely for a year during the pandemic. <laughs> well, there was that. That's true, too. Okay, let's get ourselves into the mailbag here. We do enjoy getting your feedback at the email address onpoliticsattvo.org. JMM, have a peek. What have we got this week? Uh, No questions this week, but here is a quick review from listener Willpower3, who writes, It makes nerdy news newsworthy. A must-listen-to-podcast to to know everything that is going on in Ontario politics, and you learn lots of neat, nerdy things like bylaws on e-scooters and all the things Bill Davis did for Ontario. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree with Willpower3. I mean, where else are you going to find out all of this extremely important, nerdy, maybe not all that useful, but kind of fun information? Right here on On Polly, right? And also jokes about me and my lack of knowledge about sports. <laughs> Although I was deeply impressed about how much you knew about Brad Tree living off the top there. My friend, either you're real smart or you did some homework. Either way, I'm impressed. Again, to our listeners, if you'd like to ask about content on the show, please email us at onpoliticsattvo.org. And just before we go to issue one, I should tell you, I was in Sudbury at Cambrian College for a conference last week all about electric vehicles. And I have to confess that usually when people approach me to shoot the breeze about something, John Michael, don't take this the wrong way, but usually they want to talk about the agenda, the TV show. But two people instead said, 
Hey, loving that on Polly podcast and the way that you and JMM, and yes, they did call you JMM, <laughs> love the way you present the issue. So thank you to Graham LaBerge and Samantha Boudreaux. Nice to meet you in the Nickel City, and please keep listening. Now, on to issue one. I'm running to transform our party. I'm Yasser Nakhri. Join the Ontario Liberal Party. Let's defeat Doug Ford in 2026. And then there were three. Or is it four? Well, I guess it depends if you count Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie, who's established an exploratory committee but hasn't officially entered the Liberal leadership race yet. However, Yasser Nakfi has officially got in. And JMM for the young kids who don't remember all the way back to 2007, when Nakfi first became an MPP, why don't you give us the 411 on his political career? You know, he's got uh, quite a a notable life story here. Uh, His dad was imprisoned in his native Pakistan for organizing pro-democracy events. Uh, Yasser and his family came to Canada when he was 15. Uh, He was elected MPP at the age of 34. Uh, He served as a backbencher in the McGuinty government. And then when uh, Dalton McGuinty resigned and there was a leadership race, uh, he uh, helped chair that uh, liberal leadership contest in 2013. Afterwards, he uh, was elevated to cabinet when Kathleen Wynne uh, won that contest. And, uh, you know, he he got a lot of uh, kudos for the way he organized that liberal leadership race. Uh, He was formally neutral in that whole process, but a lot of people impressed with his organizational abilities there. Um, He then would go on to hold a bunch of cabinet posts under Kathleen Wynne, including community services, uh, labor, uh, what we now call the Solicitor General, but was then uh, community safety and correctional services. Uh, And then finally, uh, the last post he held was uh, that of the Attorney General. He lost his seat in uh, 2018, like almost every uh, liberal MPP did, but made a bit of a political comeback in 2021 uh, as MP for the same uh, riding he represented provincially, uh, Ottawa Centre. Now, here's where we're going to get into some of the nerdy stuff that uh, our friend earlier mentioned. I know some of you out there will be thinking, if NACV wins, will he be the first Ontario liberal leader who was not born in Canada? And the answer is no, actually. May I take you back to the 1860s when George Brown was leading the Liberals? He was born in Scotland. And I can take you back to the 1960s when a guy named Andy Thompson was the leader, and he was born in Northern Ireland. But if you're asking would he be the first racialized Canadian to lead a major political party in Ontario, yes, he would be that. However, before he gets there, he will have to answer one of the key questions that Liberals around Ontario are asking. Indeed, this is the big one. Do liberals want someone with provincial governing experience to take over, or do they want someone with absolutely no ties to the previous McGuinty and Wynne uh, liberal governments? Everything in politics is about timing. For Stephen Del Duca, not enough time had passed since the defeat of the previous Liberal government, and his ties to Kathleen Wynne were a problem for his candidacy. Uh, Doug Ford never let people forget that Stephen Del Duca sat at Kathleen Wynne's cabinet table. However, the next election isn't for another three years, and who knows? Uh, By then, maybe cabinet experience will be more of an asset than a liability. Maybe enough time will have passed that Nackvies, having sat in Kathleen Wynne's cabinet, the same one that Stephen Del Duca sat in, uh, won't be uh, as big an issue. So with Nackvies' entry, we've now got three official candidates. Nackvie himself, Nate Erskine-Smith, his fellow Liberal MP, 
and Kingston MPP Ted Shu. We are still waiting on Don Valley East MPP Adil Shamji to jump in. Word is he probably will. And Don Valley West MPP Stephanie Bowman, who's also been kicking the tires on this, and the word is she may feel less pressure to get in because of Bonnie Crombie's almost certain candidacy. Why don't you pick up the story there? Right. It, it just would be a very bad look for the Ontario Liberal Party uh, of 2023, the party that you know gave the province its first uh, female premier to have no women in the race for leader. Uh, that was one of the significant reasons we're told that Bowman was organizing a campaign. But if Crombie gets in, there will be a uh, prominent, a more, uh, let's say, fiscally conservative uh, woman in the race, somebody who could uh, represent that business wing of the party. And so less pressure for Bowman to get in. But we will see. Yeah. I mean, over the years, I don't think I've ever talked to a leadership candidate who did not enjoy the experience. They may have regretted how much debt they accumulated, how long it took to pay off those debts. But the experience of traveling all over Ontario, learning about your province, meeting all sorts of different people, hearing about different issues, you know, it's really an extraordinary experience. So even if she's not the only woman in the race, Bowman may want that experience anyway. And like Crombie, she's more on the fiscally conservative side of things, so she'd be another voice aiming to move the liberals back to the middle of the political spectrum, further away from the NDP, where the party has planted its flag for the past decade or so. And of course, even people who don't think they necessarily have a great chance of winning the big prize uh, also sometimes put together smaller leadership campaigns to raise their own profile and lay the groundwork for a more prominent role in the party, you know, cabinet seats if they win the next election or other rules. Uh, but this will be the first time the Liberals use a ranked ballot, one member, one vote contest to select their leader. So uh, who knows how that is going to affect the calculations that people make. Exactly. And with that, we're on to issue two. It is not unusual for a majority government's MPPs to vote down an initiative proposed by the opposition. But it was passing curious when it happened last week at Queen's Park because the bill the Tories defeated seemed to have so much support in cities and towns all over Ontario. Bill 5, better known as the Stopping Harassment and Abuse by Local Leaders Act, was called for second reading last week but government MPPs outvoted the opposition and the bill is now dead. Now, the bill would call for the ouster of municipal councillors who don't comply with workplace violence and harassment policies. Here's Liberal MPP Stephen Blay explaining why the bill was necessary. And just a little warning here to our listeners, some of what you are about to hear may be considered offensive. So uh, what kind of behaviours, what kind of bad behaviours are we talking about? And I want to apologize in advance, Madam Speaker, this might be difficult for some people to hear. Now imagine yourself, imagine yourself asking the young staffer who works in your office to come to work without wearing a bra. Now imagine asking them to go to a strip club to spy on your political enemies. Imagine pressuring them to perform oral sex on strangers in exchange for money. Sadly, Madam Speaker, in Ottawa, this doesn't need to be imagined. This happened. Now, what would you do if you found yourself in that situation? JMM, is it a crazy question to ask, who would be opposed to punishing politicians who behaved that badly? 
Uh, well, apparently this government is opposed. Uh, you know, governments often vote down opposition bills because that's just what majority governments do. They oppose the opposition, just as the opposition opposes the government. But many municipal politicians across Ontario had actually lobbied the government hard for this one, arguing that there really are inadequate sanctions against uh, almost always male uh, politicians who uh, harass or abuse female colleagues or staffers. Uh, and while uh, Blaze is a uh, Ottawa area MPP, this is not just an Ottawa story by any means. Uh, there have been prominent examples in big cities like Mississauga, as well as smaller towns like Kincardine. Uh, this is exactly the kind of problem that provincial legislation can address. And it's worth noting here that progressive conservative MPPs uh, voted for the bill when it was presented in the last legislature before the 2022 election. Premier Doug Ford was asked about this in Kingsville last week during a press conference, and uh, I think it's fair to say that the Premier sounded a little bit embarrassed that uh, he had to comment on this, uh, try to explain why his party opposed it. Why has your government decided not to support it this time around? Well, we're going to come up with a, a different type of uh, bill. That's what it comes down to. We don't necessarily agree with all the wording in uh, that bill, but we'll, we'll be there to make sure that uh, we come up with uh, a proper bill. Well, like you, I have heard the Premier more forcefully describe some of his views in the past. He, he really did look like he was sort of searching for the right words there. The defeat of this bill comes as a huge disappointment for the proponents of this bill, and, and even more so the explanation offered by the cabinet minister who the Tories put up to speak to it, that would be Charmaine Williams, who is the women's issues minister. And she said, this bill wants to make integrity commissioners more powerful than an appointed judge. If you're accused of something illegal, you go to trial, but this bill wants to replace that. Now, the problem with all of that was Actually, the bill did nothing of the sort. And I've talked to a few people who have said her explanation was beyond passing strange, was actually downright misleading, and they can't quite figure out what that was all about. Right. The text of Bill 5 here uh, is not difficult to parse out. Uh, people can read the text online at the legislature's website if they want. And it's pretty clear what it says, that a, a city council or even the integrity commissioner would have to go to a judge to uh, make the final decision about whether uh, the breach of a uh, an integrity code uh, was so severe that a, a, a mayor or a city councillor would have to have their seat vacated. It would still have been a judge making that final decision. It would not have been an integrity commissioner or a city council making that as a, a political decision. So yeah, I think it's fair to say that uh, Williams's explanation was, at minimum, I will just say incorrect. <laughs> um, that said, I, I think there are some reasonable grounds that the government raised. Uh, you know, there's a lot of inconsistency in how municipal integrity commissioners are uh, trained and the decisions that they make are not always consistent from one municipality to another. A lot of municipalities rely on part-time integrity commissioners uh, or, or privately hired ones. There are some grounds to uh, object to this kind of law. But all that said, I think there is another reason why the government may be skeptical about this specific proposal, and it has to do with the Premier's late brother. Well, admittedly, let's say we're in the realm of speculation here, but since I know you're talking about Rob Ford, who was the mayor of Toronto from 2010 to 14, and uh, Mayor Ford had repeated interactions with Toronto's integrity commissioner every time he landed, or almost every time he landed in hot water, so 
I'm guessing that's what you're driving at there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you know, it is more than a decade ago now, but Rob Ford nearly lost his job as mayor because of an infraction that breached the city's code of conduct. This was not some of the more scandalous stuff that would come later, but uh, the details are not super important and we don't have a ton of time here. So I will just say the trial judge in that instance ordered him removed from office, but an appeal reversed that. He remained as uh, mayor and and formally held that title until he was replaced in the 2014 election by John Tory. Uh, The relevant point that I bring this up for is just that a lot of conservatives in this province saw that as effectively a witch hunt where ethics rules were used by the city's left to try and undo the results of the 2010 mayoral election. You don't have to agree with that assessment, but if you're looking to understand why this government and this premier are skeptical about a bill to try and make municipal integrity rules stronger, I I don't think you can ignore the premier's own history here. Right. Well, in any event, this is the second time a bill dealing with this subject has been unable to get through the legislature because the government blocked it. So we will see where the issue goes from here. We know one thing's for certain. This issue is not going away, and the proponents will continue to bring it up over and over and over. All right, time now for Your Column, My Column, in which JMM and I talk about columns we wrote for the TVO website, tvo.org, last week. You wrote about a really concerning phenomenon in the downtowns of every major city in the province, namely, too many empty office buildings because people are still not coming back to work after the pandemic. John Michael, what'd you learn? Canada's big banks are starting to get anxious about the losses they are looking at from the commercial real estate sector. Uh, And part of the reason is that not only are our existing offices still not operating at full capacity, but there is a huge supply of new office space coming from projects that were started before COVID hit. And uh, when you add it all together, we are looking at potentially having an office space glut in uh, Canada's big cities into the 2040s. So if all of this office space is either existing and available or in the process of being built but will likely never be occupied, let's try this. How realistic would it be to transform all of that into, say, housing, which unlike office space, we actually desperately need more of? You know, this has been one of the hot topics in municipal policy, and you know that I'm always paying attention to the hottest municipal policy debates. (laughs) The short answer is that uh, some offices might be efficiently converted, but some probably never will be and may need to be demolished. The catch here is that there are municipal policies in some cities that make that difficult. So we are going to need to have an argument uh, amongst ourselves and amongst city politicians about whether those policies actually still serve their original purpose. Now, Steve, last week you wrote about a guy you described as Ontario Inc.'s chief salesman, Vic Fideli. Why? Well, I was in Sudbury last week attending a conference about economic development, mining, mineral extraction in the north, that kind of thing. And Vic Fideli, the Minister of Economic Development, was the guest speaker at the conference. In fact, not exactly the guest speaker. We did a a kind of a fireside chat Q&A together at the conference. And, you know, as, as I sat there talking with him, It occurred to me, he's really had a very interesting life with a lot of highs and lows. Uh, Many of you may not remember this, but Vic Fideli was a millionaire in his 30s. He sold his advertising business in North Bay and decided that he would just travel the world after that. And he did that for a few years and then sort of thought, I really need a mission in life. And so he ran to become the mayor of North Bay, became that, served for a dollar a year. Then he became an opposition MPP for the Conservatives in 2011. And when the uh, Doug Ford forces took over in 2018, he was installed as the first minister of finance. His first budget, rightly or wrongly, was widely panned. 
It did not get good reviews, and as a result, Doug Ford shuffled him out of finance after just one budget. I can't recall when that's ever happened before. But he moved him to economic development, and it was there that Fideli really found his niche. He now travels all over the world. He's just back from Germany and Poland trying to drum up business for Ontario. He's been very deeply involved in the efforts to bring Volkswagen and Stellantis to southwestern Ontario. And we were talking about the fact that Fideli wants an Ontario that has the capacity in the electric vehicle space uh, to do the whole shebang. And by that, I mean extracting valuable minerals out of the ground, processing them into northern Ontario, having them made into electric vehicle batteries, having those batteries assembled into EV cars in the south, and trucks too, of course, and then sold all over North America. That would be the whole cycle. Uh, anyway, some fascinating observations about Fidelity in the piece, I think, including one. I got a, actually one little nugget here. He texts Premier Ford every single day about what? Read the piece. You'll find out. And one other item, JMM, and you and I both know this. He made a decision early in his political career that even though he was a Tory, he was not going to wear blue. And instead, his signature has become yellow ties. Yes. And yes, of course, we have to make a reference to the fact that it's not just any yellow. It is Pantone 109. And he's got a closet at the Frost Block, where the Ministry of Finance is, that has, I think, about 65 different Pantone <laughs> 109 yellow ties. That's Fidelis, you know, that's his trademark. That is and, his uh, signature, yes. of course, yes. we have to talk about that in the piece as well. Both of those columns available for your reading pleasure at tvo.org. Coming up after this, an old friend is joining the show to talk about their new podcast coming to TVO next week. Tiff Lam, welcome back to the On Poly podcast. Thanks. So fun for you to be back, I guess. For our listeners who might remember, Tiff was our producer for a while, but over the last year, you have been working on a podcast about youth mental health uh, with our current producer, Matthew O'Mara. The trailer for that just went out, so why don't you tell our listeners about the show? Yeah, um, definitely watch the trailer for a better, maybe, description. Uh, the show is, well, how should I put this? We are kind of updating a series that was published by the Toronto Star and the Investigative Journalism Bureau back in 2020 and 2021. Um, it was called Generation Distress. And this series in our heads hopes to kind of look at what they found then, you know, what's changed since then, how has the pandemic impacted uh, youth mental health since their stories came out. It was about a series of 10 stories. And um, where there are updates, we hope to report on those. So the show is called Inner Heads, and um, it's a six-part series. Who will we be hearing from on this show? We will be hearing from, most importantly, young people, I think. Um, but for the On Poly listeners out there, you probably also want to hear from the policy experts. We also interview uh, Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Minister Tobolo, Michael Tobolo, um, and the NDP critic on the same file as well, Lisa Gretzky. So you'll hear from those two voices there too. Um, and you'll also hear from like community organizers, people who do this work for uh, mental health support across the province. Uh, Steve and I are both parents. Uh, young people tend to come from and with parents. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what do you think parents can take away from this? I think more than anything, it'll be like a reminder of what it was like to be your kid's age. You know, once you become parents, that kind of frame of reference becomes 
so far away, you know, like when school is really like the main thing that is causing you distress, you kind of forget what that's like. Or when your friends is the only thing that's causing you um, distress. I think parents will get a nice reminder of that. I think parents will also get a sense of how they might be able to better advocate for their kids' needs and hopefully what kind of services are out there for their kids as well. Just to give our listeners a bit of the uh, backstory here, uh, Tiff and I uh, have uh, adjacent desks in the TV office. We actually sit right next to each other. So I I have uh, some idea of the work you have been doing on this, and I know it hasn't all been easy. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you know, I, I do know that some of these stories have been difficult to tell. But uh, it is it is important work. Um, what do you think uh, listeners should be prepared for in terms of some of the hard stuff? For sure, we get into you know some of the top things that are really causing distress in our youth today, and that's anxiety, that's depression, that's suicidal ideation, even attempts. And so we definitely do get into all of those hard things um, in the show itself, but hopefully couching them in more of like a solutions lens. And that way you can, I guess, recognize when the symptoms of these things are coming up in, in your kids. If you're a parent or in your students, if you're a teacher or in, in your friends, if you're actually, you know, for some reason, 14 year old listening to On Polly. Um, but <laughs> we hope you're out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, there is definitely some hard stuff, but. The personal storytelling also makes this much more relatable and much more urgent. So hopefully that comes across too. Well, it, you know, you've got uh, real world uh, personal stories, problems, but also uh, public policy uh, issues and personalities that you're talking with. It sounds like a great fit for uh, the TVO podcast lineup, and uh, frankly, worth a listen for our uh, on Polly audience as well. I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> when will the first episode be out? It is releasing next Wednesday, June 14th, and will come out once a week for six weeks after that. Tiff Lim, thanks so much for dropping in. We are looking forward to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that is the On Poly podcast for Tuesday, June the 6th, 2023. Please remember to check out our newsletters. You can subscribe at tvo.org slash newsletters. This week, JMM and I have more to say about Yasser Nakvi's entry into the Provincial Liberal Leadership Contest. Also, make sure to follow our show on Apple Podcasts so that you get notified each time a new episode is available. And if you already follow our show, help a friend follow the show too. Any feedback you have, we're happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us at onpolitics at tvo.org. Now, here's an email from listener Diana who writes, Keep it up. You two are the best political journalists. Thank you, Diana. Boy, JMM, um, I, I kind of like that one. It was short. It was pithy. It was to the point, even complimentary. I don't think she's related to either one of us, so it has the added <laughs> virtue of being objective. We don't mind that at all, do we? No, no, that was a wonderful one. I like that. <laughs> This week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Shahir Tejvidi. Production support from Carla Lucetta and Jonathan Hallowell. Until next Tuesday, everybody. Bye-bye. See you next week.